Today, we're going to dive right in. We're in Romans 13, starting in verse 8, and Paul writes, Don't owe anything to anyone except the debt of mutual love. If you love your neighbor, you see, you have fulfilled the law. Commandments like don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to its neighbor, so love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, Paul is transitioning from a discussion about money in the form of taxes in just the verses before to a discussion he actually wants to have more than that, which is about the metaphorical debt of mutual love that he hopes that this church has for one another. And he speaks here in terms really similar to Jesus's own about the love for neighbor being the fulfillment of Torah. We're people who perhaps don't concern ourselves much with Torah, and it's one reason it can feel like Paul's kind of a slog. But the reality is Torah captured what it really looked like to live out the love of God and neighbor in Israel's context. Living in a way that loved neighbor was always the point of Torah in the first place, not only neighbor tent to tent in Israel, but Israel as neighbor to the nations around it. And now, love of neighbor is a way of life that reflects who Jesus is and how Jesus interacted with the world. And then, those of us who have been ransomed by Jesus, to use another of Paul's economic metaphors, who belong to Jesus, we have an obligation to treat others the way Jesus would treat them, to love them. Paul goes on and says, This is all the more important because you know what time it is. The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Our salvation, you see, is nearer now than it was when we first came to faith. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put off works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave appropriately as in the daytime, not in wild parties and drunkenness, not in orgies and shameless immorality, not in bad temper and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and don't make allowances for the flesh and its lusts. Now, when Paul talks about what time it is, he's continuing this idea of ages, which we've mentioned before. It's the way things are and how they work. And there's a present age marked by power, obsession, and oppression. There's a future age where God's power is fully unleashed to make all things well and people become who they were meant to be and live how they were meant to treat one another. Paul, of course, believes that future age began with the resurrection of Jesus and that we live accordingly. Now, looking at the list of behaviors Paul listed out, referencing, of course, the Ten Commandments, it's easy to just think that Paul cares most about not behaving badly. But Paul cares more about the way that any of those actions on their own might be a reflection of a greater disconnection from God. When we know who we are in Christ and who others are as well, our actions adjust. And so Paul hopes that this group will realize that they are living in the age to come. And just like it would not be appropriate for people to sleep in the day, night is the time for sleeping, so it's not appropriate to live lives that match the present age when it's time to be conformed to the image of Jesus and live in the future one. And so we see that what Paul expects to mark this future age is immense love for one another. That treating one another in ways that match God's character would become normative for our lives. Now that we have a little bit of awareness of what Paul's hoping to say in these few verses, now that we've kind of gotten our bearings, I'd like to suggest two things that I think can hold us back from living it out. If you're a person who's been around church a lot, 
This idea that love of neighbor marks our life, it probably is not new to you. And yet, it can get tricky or we can get tripped up. I think there might be two big reasons for that. First, perhaps we become disconnected from God's own love for us. God's love for us is an anchor that keeps us secure as we go out to love neighbor, but we might not feel anchored to God's own love for us. In the whole of Romans, Paul has made the case that God's promises are so secure, God's commitment to those promises so great. In short, God's love for humanity is so strong that despite Israel's best efforts to bungle them, despite the very real forces of evil that attempt to derail, God's love in Christ is a force. Remember back to Romans 8.31. What do we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God who did not spare their own son, but gave him up for us all. How will God not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? And then down below, No, in all things we're more than conquerors through God who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sometimes we need to reconnect with the power of God's love so that we can really imagine living in a world marked by that neighbor to neighbor. Sometimes we need to remember how deeply loved we are, how it can anchor us in our lives. And on the other hand, there are times that we might not realize we've been bamboozled by the lie that God's love has limits. Jumping back a bit to Romans 12 from where we are today, verses 9 and 10 say, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. It's the same theme that we have in chapter 13 today. But have you ever noticed folks who hear hate what is evil and think that means identify evil people and hate them? There are some Christians who most enjoy identifying evil Christians and hating them, especially. Perhaps you were told along the way that if you do evil, even accidentally or without knowing a better way, God has stepped back from you. God loves you, but God hates sin and you sin. So God hates you? This idea gets seeded to children all the time. As you know, I have one foot in the world of how we talk to kids about faith. And there's a phrase that floats around that space that God can't be in the presence of sin. Hogwash. Right after Adam and Eve sin, what happens? God comes to them. Then the next chapter has God coming to Cain and Abel. And then right after Cain kills Abel, what happens? God comes to him. And in both the cases of Adam and Eve and Cain, after their choices, God does things to protect and provide for them. Clothing Adam and Eve, marking Cain with protection. God comes near to sin. Jumping ahead to the pillars of cloud and fire at the Exodus. That's God in the presence of people. And presumably the people sin. At least sometimes. And then, of course, Jesus. Jesus' human body is not armor protecting his divine self from being contaminated by sin. His divine self took on humanity because being with people, restoring us and the world, is the work of love. And despite evil, love has no limits. Sin is not a stronger force than God's love. And so, anchored in God's love for us and rejecting the lie that love has limits, we love for real. And as we love our neighbor, 
we fulfill everything God has been hoping we would be and do. For us then as a church, we're thinking about what that means in really practical ways. It was our third anniversary as a church just a few weeks ago. We celebrate that mid-September. And we've established a tradition, a way that we show our gratitude for God's kindness to us as a little group that keeps getting to follow Jesus together. We receive an offering. And then we divide that offering and give it away in ways that we hope love our neighbors. We're especially interested as a group in having those resources go to different types of acts of love that we would not ourselves be able to provide. So as a church, we say we love immigrants. And that means some of our anniversary offering went to an organization called Al Otro Lado, who have professional capacities as lawyers and social workers to care for newly arriving folks in ways that others like us who don't have those skills simply cannot do. We say as a church, we love people who committed crimes. And that meant that this last Sunday, we spent our response time having about a half hour roundtable conversation with the director of a local nonprofit, God's Pantry, who is increasingly getting involved in helping folks who are leaving incarceration get reestablished. They help reentering citizens with housing, with workforce training, with record expungement. And we as a group started just asking more questions about the way that work happened. And some of our anniversary offering is going to support that. We love indigenous folks and Peruvians, and we love the land God has created. In our church, we have a couple, Tori and Ruben. They live in Peru full-time. Ruben is Peruvian. Tori is from the U.S. And Ruben is also a lawyer, while Tori specializes in sustainability and um, community action. So some of our offering is going to support them and their neighbors who are working to stop things like illegal mining that encroaches upon indigenous land, who are working to help indigenous communities protect the land they have stewarded for so long, The way they go about that work is with so much respect and regard for the indigenous communities and God's creation, but they have specialized skills and so do their partners, things we simply don't know about how you do that. And so the best thing we can do is give what we can for them. And so we on Sunday received an offering. We'll divide it up and send it in these various ways. As a church, we're grateful that we get to love one another, to pray for one another and hear one another's stories. But we're also grateful for the things that we get to be part of in the wider world, that we get to love our neighbor. This time it meant we chose to give, to send out resource with a blessing and with hope that God would use what we can in ways that would help make the world more loving and more in alignment with God's character. If you'd like to participate in the anniversary offering and support those partners, You'll find a link at the PomonaValleyChurch.org site. There's a give spot there and there's a drop down that says anniversary offering. All of what we receive in that offering goes back out to partners. None of that stays with our church community this time. And now a blessing for us. May you be anchored in God's own love for you. May the reality that God's love has no limits give you courage as far as who you love. May you trust that God's love is a force. Nothing is greater. Amen.